Welcome to the Read This, Watch That podcast. I am Anthony. I am Dale. How are you, sir? I'm doing well on this rainy, windy day. Yeah, kind of a crappy spring day, isn't it? Yes. Always happens. New York, upstate New York, April, May. Always unpredictable. Yes. Expect the unexpected. Hey, that's a that's a line uh, from Dalton, right? From from um, Roadhouse. <laughs> Is it really? It's seeped into your consciousness. Oh dear. Oh. <laughs> yes. Um, Not good for me. <laughs> we're doing a comedy today. I wanted to do a comedy. It was. I was getting a little. Uh, Doing some dark stuff, so I thought lighten things up with the 1993 Michael Myers comedy. So I married an axe murderer, directed by Thomas Schlamey. Schlamey, I have no idea how to pronounce his name. The director is mostly a TV guy, doing some um, doing some work on West Wing, Spin City, Parenthood. The movie was released on July 30th, 1993. Check this out for success. The budget was twenty million, and it made eleven point five million. Mm. Ouch! Well done, Mitch. Ouch! <laughs> <laughs> the movie stars uh, Mike Myers of SNL fame as Charlie McKenzie and Stuart McKenzie, Anthony LaPaglia as Tony Giordano, Nancy Travis as Harriet Michaels. Brenda Fricker is May McKenzie, Mike's uh, Charlie's mom, and a bunch of cameos: Charles Grodin, Phil Hartman, Stephen Wright, Alan Arkin, Michael Richards. Filled, filled with uh, cameos. Phil and did I, did I miss Phil Hartman? Did you? Uh, you may have said. My apologies if you said him, but yeah, I, I, I always notice Phil Hartman when he's in things because he died tragically. And I always like Phil Hartman. Yeah. Love Phil Hartman. And did die. Murdered by his wife, right? Yes. It was murder, his... murder suicide? Yes. Yes. She ended up yeah. killing herself. She 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 had drug and alcohol problems and yeah. No, that was a very sad day in, in our household. Yeah. First time watching it? This was my first time watching it, yes. I'd love to get your first impressions before I give my third or fourth impression. So, not a fan, but, but <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a big caveat here. Two big caveats, actually. One is that the cameos were all spot on. Sorry about that. Well, my comments were 
were that offensive to you, you had to just <laughs> kick me off the podcast. The drawback of cell phones is you can't slam the you just can't slam the phone down on the receiver. <laughs> just, uh, no. So what did you hear me say? Did you hear me say? Oh, I apologize. Yeah, there was a bit of an issue here. I heard you say, um, not a fan, but with two big caveats. Oh, and that's all you heard? That's all I heard. Ah, okay. So left you in suspense. That's how I like to leave people. Uh, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, two big caveats. Uh, one caveat was I thought all the cameos were really spot on worked really well loved loved all of them and the second is that the last third of the movie i thought was far superior to the first half and i actually enjoyed the when it turned into an actual madcap comedy is that when they head up to what is it the dunsmere yeah i mean you know from the wedding onward call it or something like that right um Kind of went because all of the boy meets girl stuff to me fell really flat. Even even though it did that portion of the movie did have one of my my favorite scenes of the movie, it had nothing to do with Mike Myers or um, what's her name uh, Nancy Travis. Um, I still believe that 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 first two thirds of the movie, call it you know the kind of formulaic boy you know the setup to the madcap ending. I just, it, it did almost nothing for me other than the cameos. What was the part in the first two thirds that you liked? Was it the Alan, the Alan Arkin part? I, I love when um, Anthony LaPaglia says to Alan Arkin, his police lieutenant, that, you know, be, being a policeman has didn't really work out the way he, he wanted it to. He wasn't, doing the things that he thought he would be doing, like, you know, running across squares and requisitioning cars and, you know, holding on to the bottoms of helicopters and chasing bad guys. And, <laughs> yeah. And that, and that Alan Arkin just wasn't mean enough. Did you ever want to commandeer a car and Alan Arkin's like, that would be fun. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. This is I really like this movie, and I can't, I can't argue with a lot of what you're saying. One of my biggest problems with the movie is when Myers is he 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 reins it in, but when he's doing his kind of shtick, oh god, yeah, it it kind of falls flat for me. I like this movie. Basically, because of what you just said. Well, I like the. I like the. Um, is there anything else you wanted to do? Uh, uh, impression. Um. It, it it it. I'll say the other thing is that it really felt like somebody was um, wanting to make a movie. It, it it reminded me a little bit of. Um, it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, what's a what's a movie we we did early on the comedy. Um, um, my favorite year. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of my favorite year because it was formulaic, and it was almost like somebody said, "Oh, let's do a let's do a comedy like we would do in the fifties, right? And let's just hit all those beats. Let's do all the things." 
and um, we'll make it, and in this case, let's make it as a vehicle for Mike Myers, who's, you know, seems to be catching on, because I think at this point he had done Wayne's World, the movie. Uh, I don't know how well that did, but I mean, he was clearly somebody that, you know, the entertainment industry was saying, ah, oh, this guy might be, you know, might be the real thing. And so I kind of, it, it was almost like somebody said, you know what, let's see if he can carry this thing. You know, it's, it wasn't a hugely expensive movie, right? So it's kind of like, let's see if he can do it. Let's, let's see if, you know, we, we think this guy's got the, you know, he's got the moxie. He can go and, you know, pull it off. Let's give him a shot. Um, because it was, I think, very, 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 very formulaic. There was nothing particularly interesting about the movie. Um, which doesn't make it bad. I mean, that, you know, in and of itself is not a problem. I mean, formulas are, you know, work. That's why we have them. Um, but that's what it kind of felt like to me. Like it was this kind of, oh, let's, you know, create some vehicle and let's give it to, you know, Myers and let's see if he can, he can run with it. Um, and I think it, it, the, the answer to me was he can't, you know, his shtick needs something else right he he can't be just the guy next door kind of a thing he's got to have a shtick going on otherwise there's not really much to him you know he's not leading man kind of guy um and i think that that probably proved itself out because his big success or successes were doing the voice of shrek and being austin powers that yes, that's right. Uh, you're half right. Um, <laughs> it wasn't written as a vehicle for Mike Myers because I believe I read it was it was really written about 1970 and kicked around for a while. Yeah, but no, it no, was. No. I, 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 I'm not. I'm not saying it was. I'm saying that's what it felt like. Yeah, but it was given to him after Wayne's World yes. to see if he could carry a movie as kind of like a leading man. He was kind of up and coming and uh so it was given to him and i kind of a, I, I i think the i liken it to uh it's the early 90s version of a 1930s screwball comedy there you go that's yeah and that's kind that's of why i like it i don't think they make movies like this that are just so it's so this movie always kind of whenever i would watch this movie i'd be thinking in the back of my head it's so quirky. It's it's kind of a strange. It's really a strange, quirky movie. But I really enjoy all the characters that orbit Mike Myers. I just wish he was a stronger leading man. Yes. And although I don't actively dislike him in the role, but I agree with you. He's just not the type who can carry kind of carry a leading man. A leading man role, especially against, especially when he's up against like Nancy Travis and Anthony yeah. LaPaglia yeah. and everybody else. Yeah, I, they just it, it. It's like, um, yeah, no, no, it, that that that's I think a great way to a great way to put it. The I the opening is terrific. Great tracking shot through through the coffee house. Those are always kind of tricky to pull off. Y yeah, it was that, that was uh, uh, although it. it does also for me kind of pose a question that I want to ask you. Okay, you want you want to ask now or you want to save it? Yeah, we can save it. 
he's going to. So the, the basically, uh, Mike, my, and this is another thing that felt really forced. Mike Myers is supposed to be this guy who's afraid of commitment, mm-hmm. who's had numerous girlfriends. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure that's necessary in the movie. Uh, but he's supposed to be this guy who's afraid of commitment. He's a San Francisco area poet. And he is going to his parents' house for dinner. He stops to get them a gift. He stops at a butcher shop to pick up haggis. And the butcher shop, the work, the person in the butcher shop is Nancy Travis. She is Harriet. Uh, you know, he leaves, he goes to his parents' house. In what I think the first time I saw this, probably one of the funniest scenes in the entire movie is the utter eccentricity of his parents. Mm. Uh, Mike Myers plays his own father in this. He's a gray haired, heavy set. He's wearing glasses that are <laughs> talk about like an inch thick. Yeah. And he's doing a heavy Scottish bro. Apparently the same accent he did for Shrek. And he's just, um, they're just so eccentric. And his friend Tony, Anthony Lepaglia, the Tony's a, a detective, a, right. a, a plainclothes police officer. He's there. Uh, and the Mike Myers, uh, the dad, is, is um, giving him a rundown of like Lyndon LaRouche type stuff about the Pentaveret. Yes. Did you like that bit? It, yes, it was okay. It, it was it was all right, but I I think it largely for me it largely fell flat. Like again, I'll go back to my favorite year, and you know the family scene in my favorite year was, in my opinion, miles better than this one. Uh, yeah, miles better well yeah you got it's peter o'toole you got peter o'toole in, in a room <laughs> granted the cast the cast of, of that was was i mean brilliant i mean everybody in that cast everybody who had in those roles they they were excellent that i agree with you but it was it, it's this thing i i think part of it to me honestly was this this notion that you know it, it's a it's a tradition in certainly american comedies to um, you know, have fun with our ethnic diversity, right? And say, oh, I come from, you know, this crazy Italian family or this crazy Greek family or this crazy whatever family. And this kind of, you know, crazy Scottish family, I don't know. I just... It, wasn't it, working for you. It just didn't, yeah. It just doesn't... Interesting. Yeah. You, you don't think there's a secret, uh, a secret organization that, that meets tri-annually? At a secret compound in Colorado known as the Meadows, the Pentaveret, the Pentaveret, um, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, yeah. the Queen. <laughs> uh, what I like, Brenda Fricker plays the mom. She's a she's like an old hand in uh, like BBC shows. She's very yes. well known in Great Britain. She's yep. she's terrific. She's yep. She's on the what the World News Garth Brooks Juice Diet. Mm-hmm. And she has the world, I think it's the world news, one of those, one of those rags. Yes. And she points out that uh, maybe it's a good thing he hasn't gotten married because there's the Mrs. X, the honeymoon killer, 
Yes. Who has married or been in like four relationships. All four people have died. One in Atlantic City. One in Texas. There was a martial arts expert. There was an Atlantic City lounge singer. There was a plumber named Ralph Elliott. And then, uh, was it a Marine? I think. I thought possibly. it was only three. I thought it was only three. Uh, yeah. Maybe it was. Maybe it was only three. And of course, he laughs it off because it's it's in the weekly world world news. Um, one of the th- as as Mike Myers playing his own dad, I thought that was really, really, really well done. I you don't notice the split screen at all. Um, the way they correct the w- yeah the way they cut it together. I thought that was really yep. good. I also thought it was very funny that as he sits on the couch listening, Anthony LaPaglia is laughing, and that was not part of the script, but they just kept it in. He, he couldn't keep it together. Oh, is that right? Um, yes, as, as Stuart McKenzie's insulting his youngest son, Head, yes. about, the size, about the size of his head, and Anthony LaPaglia, like when he's, I think he says something along the lines of, he calls his head like Sputnik, spherical but pointy in parts, and then he turns to Anthony LaPaglia and says... That was a bit offsides. Uh, he'll, he's going to cry himself to sleep tonight on his huge pillow. Yes. And Anthony LaPaglia just can't. He can't keep it together. I think that's really... I, I, I just find that very, very amusing. But um, he goes back to... Because he, he kind of... The Nancy Travis character, Corazai, he goes back to the butcher shop, which is... I, this is the thing I like about this movie. Uh just a butcher shop. It's called Meats of the World. I just find that funny. Mm. Um, yes, that's amusing. Yeah, yeah, just amusing. Just that kind of a, a little bit of quirkiness. She's outside and dressed up like some Dutch milkmaid or something, putting the awnings down. I didn't understand that. But he goes in. Um, she's swamped. There's a huge crowd there. And even the customers. There was a couple really quirky the the one guy with the eyebrows and the nose the customer who just wanted mm-hmm. the the new york strip half an inch mm-hmm. thick no more no less mm-hmm. Even he was an odd guy yes just really straight he looked like a muppet yes. very strange looking but since his dad is a butcher he stays to help he got the kind of zany uh Mike Terrible Myers montage. antics. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> that was just little. I, I, yeah. It was not good. That was, no. and it's a, it, I think what they, I suspect, I certainly don't know this. I, I think what they said to Myers is go be funny. Yeah. I think it was in, probably improv. Yeah. And it wasn't funny. <laughs> just, I don't know how else to say it. It was just, no, it really wasn't. But then we get the nice, um, it just really it's really just a weird I think you're right yeah it was like go be funny and it's just not right um, they, but then they, they go out afterwards they walk around they go to they, I think this, there's a scene where they go through that palace of fine arts which we saw in Time After Time. Yeah. That classic um, 
San Francisco scene. Yeah. Yeah, and they go back to they go back to her apartment, and they what you expect happens. He doesn't want to stay the night because he thinks he's going to ruin it, but he ends up staying the night, and the romance starts. And but we do get that classic. We do get the kind of like that classic scene where Alan Arkin, the police captain, is trying to help Tony, and Tony's depressed. Because Tony, which is the Anthony LaPaglia character, Tony says, um, he tells the captain, what does he say? He says, you know, I thought this, I was going to be Serpico. Yes. But I'm more like Fish. I'm Barney Miller. Yes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, why can't y'all... <laughs> I almost memorize this. Why can't you haul? I, why can't you haul me into your office and, and scream at me and say you're, you're sick and tired of explaining my screwball antics to the co- to the commissioner? And Alan, Alan Harkin says, "I don't report to a commissioner. I report to a committee. Some of which are elected. Some of which are appointed. Some of which are co-opted on a biannual basis. A co- committee. <laughs> Did you ever want to hang from the bottom of a helicopter, or run through a crowded square, or commandeer a vehicle? Oh, that sounds fun. It, 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 that those the interactions between Alan Arkin and and." Uh, and the Pagli are great. They are. Great. They, 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 I I really really like those. I thought they were. I thought they were very funny. I thought that the writers were were doing their job in those scenes. Oh, um, and I liked. I like his. I like the character of. I, I like Tony. The Pagli. Yeah. 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 I, I like Tony. He's a. He's a. He's. He's a good. He's a good friend. Yeah, the, the, yeah, he was a good second. Yeah, he he was. He he filled that. He filled the not only the character it you know itself as written, but also Lapaglia himself filled that spot in the formula really well. I thought. Yeah, I, he's he's a. I've always liked him. He's a likable. I always found him a likable actor. Yes, and he's a definitely a likable character, but. Um, once, what did you think about the Alcatraz scene? What was the what I was no there? Idea. I, I was there no a idea. point other than <laughs> to get Phil Hartman in the movie? I don't know. So I have no idea. At all. <laughs> so there's a there's a great when I say there's a great scene, meaning like you get a really good you get a really good shot of. Of Myers and LaPaglia on a police cruiser heading towards Alcatraz. So you get that really good shot of Alcatraz from the from the water. And they they just go and they, they go on a tour. And one of many they've taken, it, it seems like they enjoy going there. But Phil Hartman yeah. is the tour guide. And, <laughs> and he just does a, a complete deadpan the entire time. Uh, yeah, brilliant. The, discussing machine gun kelly um had what does he say um had what we call a bitch yes <laughs> and one night in a fit of rage he carved the bitch's eyes out <laughs> just and he does it deadpan and, and and myers is trying to talk to Talk to Lapaglia. Lapaglia is like, shh, 
<laughs> and Phil Hartman just gives him a withering glare for like 30 seconds. <laughs> and, and the whole scene is him just talking about, ah, I finally found someone. I'm not going to screw it up. I'm not screwed. But I think they wanted to, it's San Francisco. They actually do. And there's a couple times they do a pretty good job of showcasing San Francisco, much more than our, our last San Francisco movie, which was time after time. You got the Palace of Fine Arts, you see Alcatraz, you see some of the some of the uh, classic uh, street street views you typically get. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just the throw in Alcatraz and um Phil Hart. I'm glad they did, but there's not really a need for that scene unless I'm no unless I'm mistaken, no. right? No, no, no need for the scene at all. And then, um, so we have a, they date for a while. Uh, he's, and at some point he starts to suspect that she may in fact be. Well, let, let's, Mrs. Well, X, let, right? Yeah. He, he starts to think because I mean, let's number one, she has an apartment in San Francisco that today would probably cost a few million dollars. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. <laughs> I wanted to talk about that. Holy cow. She has this. Her and her like, sister. Multi- yeah, her and her sister. Uh, Amanda, Amanda Plummer, Plummer who is excellent. Yeah, yep, who's really, really um, off. <laughs> right. In the movie. Yes. Yes. So but, what, uh, what are the clues? Go through the clues for us. The, well, the, she's... well the, the 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 clues are she, she so she has um uh she has a whole martial arts um uh you know you know uniform and um uh weapons hanging on her wall she has a big huge giant poster of Atlantic City and one of the axe murderers who we've heard about. Um, uh, I don't remember if it was Atlantic City specifically, but it was New Jersey was the location. Um, and there was there was maybe one or two other things I can't, I, I don't remember off the top just, of my head. Just but. to throw the other, I think one of the other clues was it, it was a Russian martial arts expert and oh, as they walk right. through the Palace yes. of Fine Arts, there's the yes. two Russian sailors and who comment about presumably about her her looks, and she turns around and kind of scolds them in Russian. Yes. Yeah. So he has. So he he has this kind of suspicion based on what his what his mother has has read. But the the apartment is outstanding, and it's just shocking. It, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and um, and it's she multi- lives. Go, go tell us because I, I wanted to talk about. I, I wanted to talk about the apartment. Like you're right. I even back in 1993, that would probably be. I I don't even know what the rent on that thing would be. It's yeah. It's there's multi levels. It looks like it's about yeah, eighteen hundred square feet, nine two thousand square feet. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems massive. It's it's incredible. It's this this the beautiful place, um, right? And she has the all the the, the karate accoutrement, and there's also I think there's something there's a in the background. Of, I noticed for the first time there's also one of those triangular shaped 
glass enclosed um, uh, boxes that at military funerals, they fold up the flag into that triangle shape and they, you put it into one of those glass enclosed containers. Oh, yes, yes. That's yes. on the shelf, too. Um, and, uh, the, right, there's the poster of Atlantic City and one of the victims was an Atlantic City lounge singer. So he's kind of piecing together the clues. Right, right. Uh, but he also meets, um, after his first evening with her... He meets Amanda Plummer by accident. She's taking a shower, and um, he thinks it's um, <laughs> Nancy Travis, and and you know, kind of you know, playfully, oh hey, blah blah blah, whatever. And big moment of embarrassment, but he meets the sister. Um, but the the relationship goes well for a while until he takes her home and I think that's where I can't remember what the trigger was but I think that's where the he 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 really decides oh my goodness she really is this axe murderer potentially she might be the she might be Mrs. what is it Mrs. X the honeymoon yeah murderer right yeah um so they do the breakup and there's a <laughs> uh, they break up and he gets a call from from Tony that says, oh, by the way, uh, we just arrested Mrs. X, the honeymoon murderer. Right. So he realizes he just made a huge mistake because this is the only woman he really wanted to commit to after a series of relationship failures. <laughs> So he tries to get her back. Initially, he doesn't, but we know he's going to get her back. Yes. Um, and then they go to... So, another funny... I had a list of, like, funny lines. Hmm. But I like when they go to... He's throwing a 30th anniversary party for his parents. Right. And he invites her... And just one of the funny lines is when Mike Myers, as the dad, Stuart gets up to address the crowd and he, he's looking into his wife's eyes and says, May, we've been married 30 years. And I just like to say, it could have been worse. <laughs> <laughs> just, that Those kind of like one liners. Yeah. I think I'm really, really good, especially when it's coming from this, you know, he's got all the old, he's got the old person makeup on and those, the huge thick glasses are, are just hysterical. But then he says, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I love you more today than I did when we got married. And then um, Charlie proposes and then we go to the wedding and uh, everything's fine at the wedding. But then he gets a little nervous, right? Because she sings. Uh, it's what was the clue about the song? She sings only you, but she she knows uh, she can also speak French or something. I don't know. I kind of missed that. There, there's something, but it wasn't it wasn't all that. It was more just the two of he, he and Lepaglia just kind of sharing an inside joke about his fears. And there's the really the funny line where one of the bagpipe guys goes down and he's like, we have a piper down. We have a piper down. 
yes. Like it's an emergency. Um, then they head up on their honeymoon to the Dunsmere Hotel, which he says is a place north of San Francisco, kind of, you know, um, out of the way in this beautiful bucolic area uh, where the beat poets sometimes hang out. And they go there. Um, it's their honeymoon. And one thing leads to another. If you want to talk about the ending, we can. If you want to just kind of leave it leave it out there. But you like this part. I do. I, because it, it stops being... It, it, because the relationship between... Um, uh, I can't remember the character's name. Mike Myers and... Charlie Harriet. and Harriet. Yeah. Um, is no longer anything that we're really concerned about right it's it's now just oh now we get to the mad cow oh, this is you know a marx brothers movie now right and we get to see all of the Pratt falls and the you know the uh, mistaken identity kind of stuff right and all that right kind of happens and and in my opinion the at that point the the director and the you know screenwriters everybody kind of hits their stride they say ah okay now we know what we're doing and we can do this and boom they run it off and i think and i think they they do it well and that's when it turns into the zany comedy yeah yeah and it works simultaneously uh (laughs) tony's captain tells him oh by the way it's the captain right tells him by the way the honeymoon murder um you know isn't the honeymoon murderer right. she just confessed right. to murdering abraham lincoln yes. <laughs> julius caesar <laughs> yes. so tony and it worries he he gets um he tracks down he tracks down people who would have who would have known uh the, the prior victims they id harriet as as right. the spouse or significant other and yeah. he's got to get up to this poet's corner during a storm right. He commandeers uh, Charles Grodin's vehicle. He catches a flight with Stephen Wright, the deadpan comedian. And all these, um, all these cameos are just—they're just the right length. They don't overstay their welcome. Yep. Nope. They don't. And and they're and and you're right. I mean, it's Michael Richards, um, Phil Hartman, Charles Grodin, um, Stephen Wright, um, Alan Arkin, who's a little bit more than a cameo, I would say. Yeah, because um, he's got uh, he's got at least two scenes, so it's a little bit yeah. longer. But he, but he this plays this really gentle guy who the last person you would think is he's a police captain. Yeah, yeah, and all that all that kind of all that works, I think. All right, so then um, it comes to its inevitable inevitable conclusion, right. with the relatively incompetent Anthony Lapaglia holding Harriet for questioning as Rose is trying to kill Charlie. Right. Which is also very funny. When there's up on the roof, you hear the screams and the shouts and he's questioning Harriet. Yes, you can hear them. (laughs) And he's got a cigarette, like doing doing some kind of like like film noir interrogation. It's great. Yes, we can do it here. We can take it down. You know, the more more we talk about this, I, I don't I'm trying to think in 1993, would this have worked? Would your, would your like reticence about the movie, like be put aside if, 
it had been some other actor essentially doing the same lines and things like that, but without the kind of without the Mike Myers shtick. I think it would have been a better movie. I don't think I would have it. it, And I think this is I don't don't think this is a criticism because I think the movie knows what it is. Um, I think I, I think I probably would have liked it better. I don't think I would have necessarily thought, you know, much more highly of it because it's just a cute little formulaic screwball comedy, right? It's not going to win any Oscars, but I would have liked it more. Definitely. I'm just trying to think who, who I, I had, I hadn't thought oh, about Oh, you're trying to think of who, who might, yeah, who might back, that person be? From back then. And I don't uh. know. I, I do know the, they originally had, <laughs> talk about even, talk about, I probably may not have ever watched it, um, they originally had Woody Allen or Chevy Chase in mind, and yeah. Allen clearly doesn't work at all. Um, and Chevy Chase, I think, would have been a oh, disaster I think, I, as a San, San Francisco poet. Uh, well, uh, those things aside, I think Woody Allen would have it would have been a better movie if it had been Woody Allen, and they changed the character slightly. I think. It, but- <laughs> I, think it, I think it definitely could have been a Woody Allen. In fact, I think if Woody Allen had had the idea when he was young, that could very well have been a Woody Allen movie. Back when he was doing his his you know madcap capers like Sleepers and and you know um, um, Take the Money and Run, right? All all those movies. Bananas. Uh, bananas. Yeah. I mean, I think I. I... <laughs> He's mad with power. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Woody Allen works in this movie. <laughs> well, you're taking away one of the key features of the movie, which is Mike Myers doing his his dual role, which for me is a very funny element. Um, okay, of I, the movie. Yeah, I, uh, fair enough. And, and I, I can't see Woody Allen as a poet. Which yeah, I mean, you could switch it around. Certainly, you yeah. could switch it around. But but Chevy it's Chase the... was the other one. Yeah, Chevy Chase would have been. I also heard um, Albert Brooks. Yeah, yeah. which could could have worked, although he may have been a little bit too old at that point. That's what I'm thinking. And, Even Chevy Chase as well. Yeah, and then that, Martin Martin Short. I heard was, Short. was another one. Not that they're ancient, but you know, you want you want the leads to to look like they're maybe mid to late twenties. Yeah. And Chevy Chase was doing, you know, he was a family man with teenagers in in the vacation movies by then. Right. It would have been a, it would have been much, I think a much different movie. A stretch. Yeah, definitely. Um, The, did you notice the, I I just got a kick out of this type of thing. The Scottish Wall of Fame that was on his parents' wall. Yeah, Jackie Stewart was there. That's good. Who else? Uh, I, I can you remember. name I them? just saw Jackie Stewart. It's Jackie Stewart, Sheena Easton, Alexander Graham Bell, Robert Louis Stevenson, Bonnie Prince Charlie, Robert Burns, Billy Conley, Harry Louder. I had to look him up. He was uh, simply a 1940s, 50s, 60s entertainer, so like singer, mm-hmm. actor, and Sean Connery. Those are the people oh, on, yeah, the, saw, on the saw. Scottish yeah. on the Scottish Wall of Fame. So any anything in particular you you, you want to point out look at i wanted to ask yeah. you a couple questions too 
Yeah, I'll just, I'll just, one of the things I will point out, perhaps the star of the movie, uh, in my mind, was the 1973 convertible <laughs> Carmen Ghia. Um, That's exactly what I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, Italian styling, German engineering, you just can't get better, uh, except for the motor, which produced at its best, like 46 horsepower or something like that. I'm not, and I'm not kidding. So I wanted but, to ask you, but, oh, go ahead. Wait, 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 wait. hold yeah. on, on that crazy German guy named something like Joachim Bauder put a 3.6 liter Porsche flat six motor in the back of a Carmen Ghia body that he had because the chassis is a Volkswagen chassis, which you sub, which you can modify fairly, fairly easily. Um, and turned this, you know, beautiful, but very slow um, uh, car into a beautiful and very fast, I think pa painted it Arctic silver. It's this beautiful thing with like now 320 horsepower that he cruises along in the Autob Autobahn on. Yeah, Is that, that's a, a, a car that he made for himself? Yes. And so it's not, it's, not, it's, it's not a line of cars, that, no. that, that one. No, no, no. But okay. it, there was a time in my life where I seriously considered thinking about trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, meth, meth is a terrible drug. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, uh, not being too much of a car person, although I, I did look at the 60s models, like antique models of the Carmen Ghia. And I thought they were beautiful. Where, so he's got a 72? Is that what? He's got a 73. 73. Yeah. Where does that car land as a sports car? Is it high end? Is it for the middle class, upper middle? Where's that kind of no, fit in? No, it, it, it's kind of like, I'm trying to think of what a modern equivalent might be of that. It, definitely not high end. Even when it was brand new. That's what not, I was wondering. It was not packing a wallop when it came to horsepower. What about price? Um, but it started, remember, this car started in 1955 is when they started production. And it really didn't change dramatically in styling um, all the way through when it ended production in 74, I think. And it was replaced by the um, a much more sporty, actual sports-like car, which was the Scirocco. Um, but, uh, even when it was new, the Carmen Ghia was more of a nice looking fun little car, right? So it, it was, I'm trying to think of, again, I'm trying to think of what sort of like, you know, the, the, um, not too long ago, maybe 20 years ago, the Thunderbird was reintroduced. Yes. Right. So it, it was pretty, it's really not a sporty car but it kind of looks like it's a sports car maybe because it's a convertible and two door and right. All of those things. Um, so it's a car that kind of, you know, looks nice is, is a little bit fun, maybe a little bit tiny, little itsy bit sporty kind of a, kind of a car cheap. So you could afford it. That's it what not, I was wondering. Not an expensive car and close to half a million um, were produced over the years. So 
Excellent. Yeah, I was wondering about. I was yeah. always wondered about that car and the Carmen Ghia. Because I'm not a car person, I never bothered to look it up. But it, when I went online, it is like the the classic uh, early '60s, mid '60s what they had on online. The ones that were in mint condition. It's a sweet looking car. Oh, it is. They're 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 beautiful cars and um, rugged. You know, the, those are cars that you know. If, if I mean, all older cars are finicky at best, um, you know, and they just weren't made as well then as they are now. Could possibly, just... yeah, it could possibly be the best uh, German-Italian partnership since World War II. <laughs> I got, I got some uh, brief critics quotes about this movie. And I, I agree with a lot of them. Um, David Nasser, Real Film Reviews, a somewhat erratic yet mostly affable comedy. I think that's fair. Uh, I like this one. Mike Massey, comedian Mike Myers is best handled in incredibly small doses. Yeah, that's Mike. That's Mike. I'm, I'm, I am in agreement with that. This one's a little harsh. Fact is, So I Married an Axe Murder fails on every level as a romantic comedy. It wants romance and a happy ending and a woman from hell. I yeah, that's a little. I don't know about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's see, Christian Science Monitor. You may feel trapped in a Saturday Night Live skit part of the time. The silly plot doesn't hang together well, and too many body jokes misfire. Nevertheless, a sweetness pervades the film, which provides a generous view of human nature. This is for you, Gene Siskel. The relationship between Travis and Myers is boring. Too bad the whole film wasn't about the Scottish family. They deserve their own picture. See, that's wrong. You can't do that, right? You, all that stuff needs to be handled in small doses. That's the problem. Like The, the I, Scottish I, family I, is a yeah. Saturday Night Live skit. Yes. Yes, I agree. I'll see. Yeah, I agree with that. Malcolm Johnson of the Hartford Current. Best of all are the characters who would be at home in one of Hitchcock's wackier outings. Folks who are sympathetic or absurd, notorious or utterly psycho. Um, mm. Quirky, let's see, Renee Schoenfield. Quirky 90s comedy with mock horror action. Uh, let's see. The... <laughs> J.R. Jones of the Chicago Reader. And then I'll stop. Uh, Myers pumps out a river of inventive shtick, but it doesn't cohere or connect. He seems less a character than a comedian doing couch time on a late night talk show. Not bad. That's that's uh, that's fair. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's just not that good an actor when he's playing no. himself. No, no. He needs a he, he needs a shtick. And I think that he he probably is best at doing things like Saturday Night Live. There's a trend. There was a trend with a lot of the, the critics when it first came out, and I I almost think they a lot of them missed the like a lot of them compared it to like a if a lesser Alfred Hitchcock tried to do a comedy, but is there? I just thought the whole point of this movie, it's its kind of lights and like Hitchcock's comedy. What, what's Hitchcock's comedy is the trouble with Harry, right? 
Well, that, uh, it's that's really least, that. Yeah, it's definitely a a comedy, and it's definitely Hitchcock. I don't know if he made any others. And it's um, dark. It is like it is, it's it it's is funny dark. but yeah. dark. Yeah, I don't think it's there's any funny. like I don't. It, this to me is nothing but. I can't I watch this. Yeah, and no, no, think, I, I, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. This is making the comparison this is to farce. Hitchcock. Yeah, this is not. This is making the comparison to Hitchcock is unfair to the movie, and unfair to Hitchcock. And it's inaccurate. <laughs> and inaccurate. Is yeah. like, are, are, is anybody under the impression it's not Rose from the get go? There's no mystery here. Yeah. Right. It, right. It's they throw it. The mystery is to give it a little plot backbone, but it's never the point of the, the movie. The, I think the point of the movie is the quirky characters. Yeah. And let Myers do his shtick. I, I thought they took it a little too seriously. And some took it real seriously. Like some thought it was a dark movie. Maybe in 93, I guess. But I just see this as, I like it. It's a lighthearted comedy. I put it in the same category as something like, Oh, like that thing you do, uh, maybe Drop Dead Gorgeous. Just, I don't, you know, when it's over, it's over. It's not nothing you, you think about um, too yeah. too heavily, and it's just supposed to be kind of a kind of a good time. Got a little Alcatraz. Got a little stat on Alcatraz here. It's 1.25 miles off the coast of San Francisco. It was uh, built between 1910 and 1912 as a military prison. It opened as a federal prison in 1934, closed in 1963. It had a capacity of only 312. And the average cell was nine feet by five feet. Wow. And it gets 1.5 million visitors a year. And it has such people as um, Arthur Barker, who is Ma, Ma Barker's son, Al Capone, Mickey Cohen, Bumpy Johnson, who um, has an epics movie now, uh, Godfather, uh, our show actually starring Forrest Whitaker, Godfather of Harlem. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah! I, I wanted to. Yeah, Bumpy Johnson did some some years there. Creepy. When you Carpus. said Bumpy Johnson. I thought I thought maybe we were referring to um, wasn't it Bump Johnson in uh, The Natural? Bump Bailey. Bump Bailey. Ah. Um. Creepy Carpus, another Ma Barker guy, Machine Gun Kelly, and Robert Stroud, the Birdman of Alcatraz, were all yeah. there. So, AKA Clint Eastwood. Yes. Uh, and if you read about Robert Stroud, it wasn't, he wasn't a cute, cuddly guy who liked to feed birds. He published a classic in Ornithology when he was at Leavenworth Prison. He was a genius and a sociopath. That's how I like my sociopath. Yes. Um, oh, so I got some. Let's see, a couple of funny. So lines. I've got, uh, I got, I got a couple of things um, for you. So yeah, number one, the the other casting um, interesting little tidbit I got here was in the casting of the Nancy Travis character. I don't know if you you saw this in in your research, but. I read somewhere, true or not, and I think it is true because I saw it in a number of places and and not contradict not con- uh, contradicted, is that Sharon Stone <laughs> wanted to play uh, Harriet and Rose. Oh, that, interesting. That was her. That was her. You know, kind of Condition? stipulation. 
for the for for being cast in it. She wanted to do both, and they and they said no, and so she said she wouldn't do the movie. Was I think that def- would have been really interesting. I, I I would have loved to have seen that. I think that would have been great. You're gonna have to remind me. Was that before she made her name with the Michael Douglas movie? Um, what you call it there? Um, fatal in- yeah. Fatal Attraction. No, I think that wasn't I Fatal think- Attraction. Wasn't Fatal Attraction. Oh, that was Glenn Close. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about. Well, I'm, uh, I'm... Yeah, no, no. It, it, oh, shoot. What is the name of that? Um, why, am I, why did it? It's. Um... I'm going to look it up. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it's after. Because I think that movie was from the 80s. Because I'm wondering about. She was definitely Sharon, you know, well, I, I believe she was, you know, Sharon Stone as we think of her today um, at that point. Basic Instinct was a year Basic before. Instinct. It was a year before, so she would have... Oh, it was only a year before. Yeah, so she would have been big. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, okay, maybe, yeah. Maybe it brought a little bit of that... A little bit of that to... To the character. A, yeah. little, a little bit of that edge. I think Nancy Travis is charming as hell. I think she's great. I think she was great. And my comment, incidentally, was in no way meant to be a criticism of Nancy Travis, because I thought she did really well. I'm just saying that Sharon Stone at that time and clearly her abilities as an actress, right? I mean, if you think about um, uh, that movie and you think about the other movies she's been in, you know, she could pull that off in a really interesting way. And in a comedy, I think it would have been really interesting. I, I would have, I, I think that would have been a more interesting movie. You got to recast Mike Myers. He can't play opposite Sharon Stone. That's a fair point. <laughs> She's demolished him. Yeah, that's true. Can you imagine? True. Yeah. No, that's a, wow. that is a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to recast the whole movie now. Jesus. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe not Alan Arkin. Um, okay. I got a, I got a couple of things here. So um, what was that whole, what does he do for a living? And I don't know <laughs> because you only about two people in the history of the world have made a living at poetry. He's a poet, but I don't know what he does for a living. That bar. The only thing that I could think of was that he owns that place. The coffee shop. The coffee house. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, That's the, the only, only thing I could think me. of is when he goes up to do his first poem. Um, and she says, "Our own." She introduces him as her own Charlie McKenzie. Yeah. Does he work there? I, I thought it was because I. I. That's what I thought. Well, that's what I thought originally. I don't think. But he, oh, then I, I thought. Oh, maybe it's his place. But he also, when he gets his coffee, it's this giant thing, and he he kind of makes fun of it, and so that doesn't really work. So, so that was my kind of, I think, mystery here. How does this it, guy make a living? Although maybe that explains why he's driving around in the nineteen seventy three <laughs> Carmen Ghia back in the nineties, because back in the nineties, a seventy three Carmen Ghia was not a not a a thing that I think you'd want to be caught in. He doesn't but, live at home. He's got an apartment. No, he's got uh, an you, apartment. Yeah. You see it. You see it um, in a scene or uh, like at least one scene where he's sitting and writing. I don't know. Never mentioned. Never talked about. Never discussed. Um, yes. Good. That yeah. Perfect. Great question. Yeah. So, um, um, you mentioned before the the father character talks about the pentaveret, 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. Two years ago, Mike Myers did a television show about the Pentaveret. On Netflix? I don't know where it was. It was somewhere. Did not get good reviews, but... um, I wouldn't watch it. It, It's killing a good... It's killing a good A good bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. I agree. Beats it into the ground. Um... I want to go through 93 kind of movie year before we go on stuff to... here, but yeah, but before we do that, you got to do, got to do this. Um, you got to go through and understand um, the family values uh, portion. You know, we, we got to do the family values portion of our, of our podcast. So we have Mike Myers, Nancy Travis, Anthony LaPaglia, Amanda Plummer, Brenda Fricker, Charles Grodin, Phil Hartman, Debbie Mazur, who was um, Anthony LaPaglia's girlfriend. Yes, and they went on to star in a movie together. Did they? I didn't know that. You mean girlfriend? Um, in, girlfriend in the movie? Yes, they the movie, went on. Yeah. They went on to be uh, in a movie together, and I'm, I'm blanking on it right now. Yeah. Okay, and then Stephen Wright and Alan Arkin. Ten, <laughs> ten actors. Okay. How many spouses? How many spouses? I'm going to say 20. Twenty? Sixteen, I count. Wow. Who was married the most? Let me think. Uh, It's a tie. It's a tie. I'm going to say... Huh. I'll say... Hmm, good question. Amanda Plummer and Brenda Fricker were married the most. Oh, that's very your way off. Uh, as far <laughs> as I can tell, Amanda Plummer has never been married. Okay. And... Oh, the daughter of Christopher <clears throat> Plummer. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Rest in and, peace. Uh, Brenda Fricker was married once, um, only once, and, and divorced once. But it does raise the question, how many divorces were there? Oh, well, oh, I'm sorry. Before we move on to that. So who had the most? I said it's Ty, right? Alan Arkin? It's a, it's a three-way tie. Alan Arkin is one. Huh. Phil Hartman is another. And Anthony LaPaglia is the third. And they all, <clears throat> excuse me, they were all married uh, three times. Okay. And they were all um, divorced twice. And of course, Phil Hartman was also um, murdered, which is how his third marriage ended. Um, Amanda Plummer never married as far as I can tell Stephen Wright never married as far as I can tell that's, yeah, that's not a surprise right uh, Debbie Mazur if I'm pronouncing her name correctly um, married once and still married uh, and I think does a cooking show and does some you know has written some cooking books with her husband nice um, Brenda Fricker as I mentioned married once divorced once and Nancy Travis um, also married and, and um, stays has stayed married. So two of the 10, 20%, one marriage still in the marriage. And they met on the set and he was a, I don't know, executive producer or producer of the movie, uh, Nancy Travis's husband. Is that right? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, look at that. That's funny. 16 marriages, huh? 16, 10 people, 16 marriages, which is, which is not bad for some of the movies that we've done, you know. 
No, it's 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 not. Yeah, and, actually, and... only only two thirds more than two thirds more than Philip K. Dick. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, and three of them make you know three of them account for um, more than half of the marriages. <laughs> uh, some a couple of the lines I do like. I just didn't want to forget about. I like this stuff. Uh, I don't know if, if you do, but um, when she asks him if he actually likes haggis, and he says. All, I think all Scottish food is based on a dare. Yes. Was, that was funny. <laughs> yes. And then when he explains to Harriet after he first meets her that Scotland has martial arts, it's called fuck you, and it's mostly yeah. headbutting and kicking people when they're down. Yes. Uh, that, I, thought, <laughs> I thought those were all, all good lines. Um, that, the building they go to their honeymoon on, their, their honeymoon, um, was called... Um, it's the let's see let me find it here because that in itself has a little it's like the Dunsmere Mm -hmm. Dunsmere House Dunsmere House and it's got like almost a it's 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 what it's great for the outside it looks really great it's actually in Oakland and not as it's got grounds around it, but it's not secluded at all. Like they make yeah. a look in the movie and that yeah. was done in the movie. They did that, I guess, with some camera angles and some mat work to make it look like it was in the middle of nowhere. It's actually hmm. it's actually smack dab in Oakland, but it has a very um, Shirley Jackson esque founding. It was a like, British Columbia coal magnate wanted to build the house for his wife at the like 18 late 1890s mm-hmm. and so he's going to build her this this mansion it's going to be you know finished while they're on their honeymoon in Boston he dies on their honeymoon in Boston and he never sees it she moves into it and dies about 2 years later from some type of illness so it sounds almost like a Shirley Jackson, the setup of a Shirley Jackson story. Yeah. The 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 millionaire, the house he builds for his wife, the house, usually it's, she's the one who never sees it, right? She's the one that dies in the carriage accident, <laughs> going to the house for the first time. But yeah, it's got a really interesting history. And now it is, it is um, used for uh, receptions, yeah. Uh, weddings, uh, conventions, and things like that. Very, very cool, very cool buildings. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, let's see. Movies that came out, comedies that came out in 1993. Did you look this up? Um, I looked at movies. So I'll go through just, I just looked at not, comedies. Not specifically comedies, although I, I, I made a couple of notes. So. so Sleepless in Seattle came out in 1993. $21 million budget and made $227 million. I think it was the fifth highest grossing U.S. Uh, fifth highest. Fifth, fifth. Number five on the list of films that gross the most in the United States. I'm having problems with my grammar today. Adam's Family Values, which I've never seen. That Those movies never... I had no interest in seeing that, but I liked Adam's Family Values. Made about sixty million, so yeah, I liked it. Kenneth Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing was made for five point 
eight million pounds and brought in forty three million dollars. Wow. Here's the pro like um axe murders gained something of a cult following, but it was a disaster at the box office, even though yeah. according to what I read, it tested well with audiences uh, when they did the testing. They liked it, they enjoyed it, but it just utterly it utterly bombed. Yeah. Groundhog Day came out in nineteen ninety three. And a classic, wonderful comedy creative didn't do as well as i thought it would did um 20 million dollar budget probably what 18 mil for bill murray and 105 million return and i only say it it didn't do as well as i thought it did because a movie i have never actually seen and never really felt the need to for whatever reason mrs doubtfire came out in 1993 yeah i never i've never seen it either 20 I've never had a dessert, dessert. yeah I, uh, nothing against it I, you know i like a lot of robin williams stuff but it just never seems i i just you know 25 million <laughs> sleep is in seattle was a 21 million dollar budget made 227 million at the box office that's awesome that's great yep. mrs doubtfire 25 million dollar budget 441 million dollar box office really yeah or, I mean, are you sure about that? Because I looked at the numbers of the top, the top ten. I thought that was the Jurassic Park number. I had it down for Mrs. Doubtfire on the Wikipedia oh. page. Oh, okay. Maybe it's not box office. Maybe it's, uh, you know, to rentals and, uh, or maybe it's international. Who knows? Right. Maybe that it's wrong. Be. I mean, it is the internet. So yeah. Well, I think I take all of this with a. With a grain of salt. Here's a movie. That's I true. Could... Our listeners should know that our I mean, no guarantees. <laughs> our re... <laughs> yeah, our research. Well, this makes right. If you looked at it on Wikipedia, because I'm looking at the Jurassic Park one, and Jurassic Park, according to Wikipedia, had a 63 million dollar budget and a one over a billion dollar. Oh, that office. makes sense. So that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another movie I kind of sort of like, and Woody Allen sometimes does not make money. Manhattan Murder Mystery came out about. Oh, love that movie. Love it. Two or three weeks. Yeah, I really, I really enjoy that. It came out about two or three weeks afterwards. That budget was thirteen point five mil, and it made eleven point two. So another Woody Allen financial flop. He's got a number of flops. Oh yeah, I always, I always thought he had a kind of a. I always thought in his prime he had kind of a built-in audience, so so it would least make money, and he doesn't do crazy science fiction movies, so the. Budgets don't have to be, you know, crazy either. No, but look who was in that movie. I mean, I think probably most Alan of the Alden, budget. Diane Keaton. Yeah, and and what's her name? Um, it's Keaton, Alda, Allen, and who's? It's uh, what? Um, what's who's all this? It's, um, it's uh, uh. Angelica Houston was in it. Yeah. Diane Keaton. Yeah, that was it. So he th- that's probably where the budget went, right? Um, to the actors. So I got a question for you. Um, do they, with that apartment, did their parents leave them a ton of money? Did they own the butcher shop? I, I have no idea at all. Um. Which is a bigger sign of Tony's great friendship for Charlie? The fact he risks his life to rescue him 
or the fact he actually goes to an open mic night. This, they're absolutely going to open, yeah. open mic night. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Yeah, that's that's really that's above and beyond. That's really good. That's really good friendship behavior. All right, that's all I have to talk about. I like this movie a lot, despite um, despite some of its flaws. I think it's. I just don't think you see these quirky, uh, excellent use of cameos. Um, Just so many, and they're they're all done really, really well. They're all excellent. They never overstay their welcome, and they help keep. I did like the pacing of this movie. I think it's well paced, and I think those cameos help move it along. I I I agree with the your comment about the the pacing. I'll just I'll just add a, a couple of couple of things. Um, just to give everybody, I I like doing this because it kind of gives perspective. Nineteen ninety three was also the year I mentioned Jurassic Park, but also The Fugitive. Oh wow! The firm. The firm. Um, Indecent Proposal, which was a very high-grossing film in the United States, evidently. I hate the whole concept of that film. I never saw it, so I can't yeah. comment on it. Schindler's List. Ah, well, that's uh, why, you know, comedies. That's why That's why this movie yeah. didn't do well. Yeah. Uh, Philadelphia. Wow. Um, Dazed and Confused was that yep. year. Yeah. Um, uh, 32 short films about Glenn Gould. Was that year? Um, and uh, it's probably uh, in the name of the Father, one of um, Daniel Day Lewis's. Um, yeah, I remember that performances. But here's an here's an interesting thing. I mean, when you go back when, and it, when I looked at movies, I mean, I, I kind of saw the same. I saw a movie that starred this. This was the primary cast listed: Eric Idle, Rick Moranis, Barbara Hershey, and Catherine Zeta Jones. I have no idea what that movie is. <laughs> But I kind of want to see it. <laughs> right? Is that a 93 movie? That? Is that 1993? Yeah, it's a 1993 movie, comedy. What, what movie were they in together? It's about... I'm not sure which is the weirder one. Like, Rick Moranis? <laughs> <laughs> Eric Idle shows up? It's a movie. It's called Air Apparent. Never even and heard of it. It's about a, guy, a member of the... Um, English aristocracy dies, leaves his estate to his son, who he thinks is um, uh, Rick Moranis. But it turns out um, Eric Idle is claiming to be his son as well. And Eric Idle has been um, raised in a uh, in, in a Hindu community. I don't know any of the details, but it does not look actually very good, which is unfortunate. Because when you look at that cast, you kind of look at it and say, wow, really? Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, that's funny. No, that's a lo- that's a loaded lineup. It's no wonder, and maybe maybe this movie fails, you know, on a, on its own merits. But the Fugitive, the Firm, uh, Schindler's List, uh, just uh, right there, those three. Yeah. Uh, then you have Mrs. Doubtfire, Toss in, Sleepless in Seattle, Jurassic and Park, and Groundhog Day. Oh, Jurassic Park was ninety three, the yeah. first one. Yeah, right yeah. there you got huge. I assume Jurassic Park was also summer. That sounds I, like the I summer. Can't imagine it would. Yeah. yeah. So very few. It, it makes sense that that there there might be some good movies out there that got just buried. Yeah. Just just uh, just, just buried. Those are that's a lot of. That's a lot of heavy hitters right there. Yeah. 
That's that's interesting. Um, what about sequels? Does this movie could this movie use a sequel? Um, if it uh, followed um, Anthony Lapaglia and Alan Arkin's <laughs> adventures, yes, I, I would watch that. Is that the spinoff? That's the spinoff yeah. we want to see, right? Yeah. For me, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I th- that dynamic worked really well, and I, yeah. I'm also I, I like whenever I see Anthony Lapaglia, I like um, I like seeing him in in, in Sense8. Yeah, he's just one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, um, Australian, by the way. Yeah, I know, and and I, he always plays Italian guys, and, and maybe well, I he think, has I, mean, I think he, he has Italian. an Italian background, so yeah. <laughs> but um, he does the accent, you know, when he has to be a New Yorker, right, and that kind of thing. So he does it know, fine, yeah, he, yeah. He, he he does it well, and I always I always enjoy seeing him. I think he does it does it. He does his job, right? He goes in, he he, he does what he needs to do. This uh, what about a remake? You could probably remake this and patch I would up remake the. This. Yeah, you patch up the the weak the weak parts, right? Yeah, and I think I think you could do it because I think again, going back to my one of my earlier points, I think it's just this formulaic, you know, screwball comedy. So get the right actors, change a couple of things, and I think you could make it work. You know, get get rid of some of the stuff that you know. D- number one rewrite the script because you need a better script in the first half of the movie, right? You need some substance in the boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. Would you of the movie? You do. Would you, but in that first, the first half of the scripts, would you have her like, there's a really, I, and I, I think it's, it's played for laughs and it's, it's a great line when they first meet and they're walking by, uh, um, after after they work all day in the butcher shop and they're they're eating and, and walking by the Golden Gate Bridge Park there, and he says, you know, tell me a little about yourself. Like what what you know what have you done that's truly evil? For instance, have you ever brutally murdered anyone? How many people have you brutally murdered? And she looks at him and says, "Brutal's a subjective term." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> would you would you play it a little bit darker? We have real. No, I mean. If yeah, you watch this I, movie, I, I think not could, thinking that they get together at the end, it's just you. You, could, you, you haven't watched, you haven't lived in the United States and watched movies. Ever, yeah, I mean, you could you, know? you could do it two ways. Like you could do it like Martin Scorsese after hours kind of, you know, approach, which right. I think could work, right? Right. Which, the humor it, comes out of the circumstances, but it's it's dark. But it's still dark. Or you could just go and you could just hey, let's let's do it straight up and yeah. and play those things, you know, kind of like they did in this this movie, a little bit tongue in cheek and you know that way. But I, I I think you could go either way because it does have at its core, right? I mean, I think that's why people, you know, critics are stupid frequently, and that's why you probably got some of these critics saying, oh well, this is a dark black comedy because it's about it's got murder at its core. Well, no, it's it's a <laughs> device, and they don't play it, you know as murder right they just play it as oh she's a thief or oh she's actually a man right i mean it doesn't matter right and what at what's there for purposes of this of this movie right it, it you know it's the MacGuffin, right so the or or slightly more than a MacGuffin, but but pretty much at 
so I think in thinking about remaking it, you could remake it in any number of ways. Um, and I think you could you could make it black, you know, a black comedy, or you could make it a lighthearted comedy. And I don't think it would I don't think it would matter. Well, I th- think that same year, Manhattan Murder Mystery is very similar in a lot of ways. And oh, they, that's actually a really interesting point. Yeah. I mean, they go right to the heart of it, though. They investigate a murder. Yes. Where I mean, they're, they're actively, amateurs are actively investigating uh, a murder, whereas in this, it's, it's much, it's just, it's farce. It's, it's yeah. not to be taken, it's cartoonish. It's not to be taken yeah. seriously. But in Manhattan Murder Mystery, you have that where the amateurs are actually, it's a neighbor. And things like that. Those little tangential things are different, but it's kind of like well, it's really Woody Allen's more than it is anything else, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I like it. I enjoy it. It's lighthearted. It's it's I. It's one of those things that to me is um, good, fun, disposable entertainment. Um, and uh, you know, after Blade Runner, uh, I wanted to. Uh, I felt like doing something a little bit. A little bit on the lighter side, so no, see, thanks for indulging me. Yeah, you and I went opposite directions because I went and I watched a two and a half hour um, documentary about the making of an alien. Is that new? <laughs> no, I found it on YouTube. I think it's called uh, The Beast Within. It's actually making, pretty good. Making of Alien. Yes, the first one, Ridley Scott. Well, funny you should mention that. Um, Yesterday in the afternoon, I watched bits of. Well, I was. I I never intended to sit down and watch the whole thing, but I did watch parts of Black Hawk Down, another Ridley Scott's. uh, Yeah, yeah. Another Ridley Scott's movie. And I'm watching it, and I'm thinking to myself, there's certain things in that movie where it's like, that's a this guy above and beyond the logistical nightmare. Of yeah. filming something like that, in 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 terms of the number of people, uh, you know, and then the shots and everything, um, you know, take all that out. It's really a it's it's it could be his masterpiece in terms of um, the way he films that. That that had to be that had to be a nightmare. I mean, Steven Spielberg does it in the first thirty minutes of Saving Private Ryan. He does it for about an hour and fifty five minutes. Yeah, of utter chaos everywhere. Yeah, and it oh, made it's me. Re- a, it's a stunning movie. It made me appreciate. I don't think people. I think people go to like Alien and a few other movies first before they talk about Black Hawk Down. Maybe because it it was such such a. Um. Who remembers that now? You know, if you're born after, <laughs> if you're born in 1995, yeah. it's just not something that. You know, but as a film, it's it's could be his masterpiece. He, I think, when you take a look, I don't remember whether we talked about this um, when we talked about Blade Runner, but when you take a look at, at his um, list of films over the years, it is staggering how many excellent, I mean, truly excellent movies are out there and i'm talking about that in terms of the you know the the real craft right the just the the artisanship right of making uh, of making movies when you when you take a look and you and you know alien blade run these are just the ones that i've seen right 
Uh, yeah. There's a whole lot of others, right, that, that are out there. But, you know, Alien, Blade Runner, Thelma and Louise, people always forget that he made Thelma and Louise. It is a weird um, one to think about for him when you think about Alien and Blade Runner yeah. and the other ones. But he also made Black Rain, um, White Squall, G.I. Jane, which I think is an underrated movie. Is um, Demi, Demi Moore? Yep, Demi Moore. Um, Black Hawk Down, Kingdom of Heaven, American Gangster. I haven't seen American made, Gangster. That's a, it's Denzel Washington and it's very, yeah. very good. Robin Hood, which not... A, That's the Russell Crowe one, right? The Russell Crowe one, yeah, which is not great, but it's not terrible. And as a piece of filmmaking, it's it's quite good in a, in a lot of ways. Um, the Martian, yep. which is, in my opinion, one of the greatest movies ever made, not because it's profound or it's got all this stuff. It just does exactly what it intends to do. It's incredibly entertaining. Um, it's just fantastic. I mean, I, I think it's a perfect movie in, in some respects. Um, All the Money in the World, um, another plumber. Uh, and I think House of Gucci has done, people are saying is, is you know, really extraordinary. I mean, and, and this is over, you know, 40 years, 50 years coming close to. Right. Of yeah, it's been movies. a long time. And it's like every decade, he's got two or three incredible movies. I just I think he's an underrated filmmaker. I I, I agree. Yeah. I, I think he's. I, I think people spend way too much time. I mean, you, you, talking about people like Spielberg, of course, is is um, appropriate because he he's made some incredible movies. But I think that we 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 kind of overshadow either flashes in the pan or. Um, uh, you know, people who have made some iconic movies, as Spielberg certainly has done, and, and a lot of them, um, at the expense of people who are just absolutely outstanding every time, you know, they, they, they're, they're up there. It's, it's kind of like, I kind of think about Ridley Scott as kind of like, um, you know, a version of Hank Aaron, right? It's just, yeah, pick me a bad Hank Aaron year, I'll take it. Right, right. Well, I also yeah. think that we we um, we may place more emphasis when you hear people in the know, like real like film critics and people who do this type of thing for a living. They may also place a little more emphasis on auteurs like mm. Martin Scorsese. Like Scorsese can do a whole bunch of different things, but. If you know his work, you can almost like he's got a he's he's got a vibe, right? He's got a Scorsese thing that's great. He's a great filmmaker, and we like uh, people talk about again like Hitchcock and Ridley Scott's not exactly like that. He doesn't. There's not a Ridley Scott stamp in every movie. He right. just takes the movie and and uses his skills to make the best the best movie possible. But you know. There's not a lot of similarities between Alien and Thelma and Louise in terms of the actual filmmaking where no. you can spot like, oh, that's a Ridley Scott trick and that's a Ridley Scott thing. And that's, yeah. Um, I think so the only ones that, that get that kind of do that is are the historical, you know, like Kingdom of Heaven, Gladiator. You, you kind of, 
you look at the Robin Hood, you kind of look at those and I don't know. I, I look at those and I see some similarities there that I could look at and say, you know, if I didn't know it was this, it was the same director and somebody said, oh, it's the same director, I would say, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. Okay. All right. I never um, saw Robin Hood. And Kingdom of Heaven, I don't think I watched the whole thing. And so Gladiator, I've only seen like maybe one and a half times. I'm not a huge yeah. fan. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan but, of the yeah. story. And the, the filmmaking superb. Yeah. Yeah. No, the guy's the guy is, uh, is really remarkable. I don't know how we got to Ridley Scott talking about uh, How I Married an Axe Murderer, but maybe we get Ridley Scott to remake. Remake. That's, 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 that's exactly. Scorsese or Ridley Scott <laughs> would be my... Or Tarantino. <laughs> David Fincher. <laughs> I think David um, Fincher's the guy. All right. That's So I Married an Axe Murderer. I enjoyed it. You did not, but that's okay. I owed you for a dream team. <laughs> I still owe you for I think quite a few my friend what's <laughs> <laughs> uh, the one um, was it no you liked uh, summer Roadhouse school? summer school you did yeah summer school you <sighs> didn't live up to your your expectations <laughs> no there was another one in there too that I was not well I'm sure we'll have plenty more like that um, one direction or another. I hope so. I hope yeah. so. All right, man. Um, that was fun. Thanks for doing the movie. Yeah. My and pleasure as always. Let's be in touch. All right. Sounds good.